Okay, we're going to be starting a brand new series um, that is going to take us several weeks to get through. I'm just going to warn you right now, uh, and I don't mean to warn you in like a bad way, but just so you're aware of kind of what's going on. We, we, we've entitled this series, Always Choose Joy. And for the next several weeks, we are going to take a journey through the book of Philippians. Um, one of the things that I think is very important, and I do it in different ways throughout every year, is I, I find it's very important that we take some time to really focus in on a book um, or, or a section of a book. Some books are just so long, we would be, you know, like if we were going to do Psalms, even though we've kind of looked at some Psalms or Proverbs, we did Proverbs, you know, th- those are so long, we could be in those books for, for literally years. But, but, but we want to take some time to really dig in deep to certain books. And I think that it's very important for us in our spiritual growth to really focus in sometimes on on certain areas and certain books. And it does take a little bit of time. We're probably going to be in this um, depending on, and we may break for maybe a Mother's Day message or a Father's Day message. I haven't decided yet, but we're going to be in here for about eight to nine weeks. Um, But I really think this is a very important book for us to look at. I think it's an important book for us to study. It's, it's four chapters long. It's not a long book, but the thing is about Philippians, there is some serious meat in Philippians. There is some verses that you know very well that you've heard a lot of times. There's, there's almost like these epic verses in Philippians, and, and there's so much depth here and so much important things that I believe God wants us to see. But in that, it's, it's going to be a journey that we're going to go through. We'll read every single verse uh, in Philippians through the series. And I really want you as kind of, I'm going to kind of give you a little bit of homework, okay? As we're going to be going through Philippians, I want you to go through Philippians, okay? We're going to be breaking this down in little chunks every week. Um, I've just basically, just like I've done before, um, the subtitles in your Bible, at least in my Bible, we're going to break those down and we're going to look at a section a week uh, and really look at each of these things in depth. Because I think it's important that, that sometimes we slow down a little bit and really begin to look and see what Scripture is really telling us so that we can take it and apply it. But um, it, it, it's, I'm very excited about it. I'm very excited to share what I believe God has laid on my heart through this book because I believe that this book has some, some very relevant things that we need to understand uh, as a family and as a church and as individuals in the world that we live in uh, today. So the title of the series is Always Choose Joy. I'll explain why that is in just a moment. But, but here's the thing about joy. Joy is kind of one of those things that as a Christian, I've always heard a lot about. We've always sung a lot about, especially during Christmas time. But, but joy is kind of almost one of those things that, although it's supposed to be a part of our lives, is somewhat hard to grab a hold of. And it's hard to hold on to. And it's, it's kind of one of those things where, in some ways, we know we're supposed to be joyful. We, 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 we hear those words. We sing joyful, joyful, and all those sort of things. But it's sometimes not always applied into our lives the way we want it to, or the, especially the way the Lord would want it to. It, it kind of reminds me of this. When I was in school growing up, in elementary school, we had something called like a field day on the last day of school. I don't know if they do that anymore, but it was a great day. And I mean, it was like the last day of school. And so we would have all a bunch of relay races. I remember we would throw eggs. We had egg toss. Do they still do that? Probably not. No, probably. Yeah, probably not. Anyway, we'd throw raw eggs at each other. Yeah, it was great. Not like, like I mean, you, you, you were not supposed to break the eggs, okay? Like some of you are sitting there going, why did they give a bunch of kids <laughs> eggs to pound each other with? No, it was like you were supposed to not break it, even though 
depending on the partner that you had, you would, anyway. Um, a little bit of insight into my childhood. But anyway, I remember there was a game, and I was so not impressed with the game at first. And so basically, it was a relay game, and there was basically a big brute bucket, or not bucket, like a trash can, one of those big gray trash cans, and it was full of water. Now, remember, I grew up in Kansas City, uh, and by basically the end of school, it was hot already, it was humid, so getting wet was not a problem. And so they would say, okay, here's what's going to happen. In this big old bin, we have a bunch of water, and down over there is another basically brute, and we're going to race, and we're going to, you got a bucket, here's your bucket, and you're going to fill your bucket up, and you're going to run down, and you're going to dump your bucket into the other bin. The team that has the most water at the end of the race wins. One of those types of things, okay? And so I'm all excited. I'm going, well, I mean, we're really going to get that wet? You know, because it depends. Are you going to run really, really fast and kind of let your water splosh? Or are you going to go slow and keep it all in? It was strategy involved in a second grade's mind, you know? And then they handed us the buckets. And the buckets had holes drilled through them. Now, again, wanting to get wet, this was not a problem, you know? But what became the problem was, how am I going to get all that water and win the race? Because the last thing that you could do at this point is lose the race, especially because they would break you up boys versus girls. You could not lose a race to the girls. That was incomprehensible. You cannot let that happen. And so they said, ready, set, go. And so people were rushing in, they're grabbing their butt, and people are running, you know, some people are running like this. I was one of the kids that was like, wait a minute, I'm going to keep as much as this in. So I put the bucket next to my body. And I'm trying to cover up as many holes as I can. And I'm running down water, splashing up in my face. I mean, you're like, oh, this is great fun. And you dumped it in and things like that. And for me, I don't know if this is you, but my, I kind of feel like joy is like that for me. Like there's a bucket and I'll maybe go experience something great or God does something awesome or, or something neat happens in my life. And it's like I take that bucket and I go and I get a huge old bucket of joy. But my bucket's got holes in it. And life, sometimes, that joy begins to leak out. And maybe something's going on, it's stressful, and I begin to kind of run with my bucket, and it begins to kind of spill out all over the place. And you know what ends up happening? Wherever I end up getting, I end up with a lot less joy than I started out with. Now, what usually happens, hopefully, is I go, away. i got to go back to the source, i got to go back to, to Jesus, and, and fill my bucket up again. But at the same time, I have a leaky, that's a weird way to put it, I have a leaky joy bucket. And I think a lot of us do. I think a lot of us know joy needs to be a major part of our heart and our life. Scripture tells us the joy of the Lord is our strength. But yet, our buckets leak. I think Philippians is a book, and we'll look at it here in just a minute, that was written in a lot of ways to help you and help me and help the church to basically find ways to plug the holes in our joy bucket. I think it's always going to be a struggle, but if I can get those holes sealed up, I think it's going to be a major thing to help us to keep that joy that God wants us to have. Because here's the thing, joy's hard. You would think it would be easy, but joy is hard. Look at this with me, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. It's a real simple, easy, short voice, verse that's very, very powerful and very, very almost difficult at the same time. It's simply this, always be joyful. Always be joyful. Like, like, like I, I read that verse and that command, and it's a command, folks. It's not a if you feel like it kind of thing. It's always be joyful. And it's one of those verses that I go, God, are you kidding me? God, do you really understand what's happening in my life right now? 
Like, do you really get it, God? Are you really paying attention for you to ask me to always be joyful? How in the world can I do that? How in the world can I live a life that is always joyful? And that's something that we need to understand better. Because in, what happens is, is we're not always joyful. One of the things that I want us to learn throughout this series is not just that joy is kind of this, kind of this thought or this idea or this kind of, oh, this unobtainable thing in our hearts and our lives, but it's literally something that we can have and hold on to and let it transform us and the way we live and the way we see our world and the way we see our family, the way we see our situations and circumstances. Because here's what I've learned. As hard as it was for me to understand, and as much at times as I fight it, the feeling of joy is an emotion, but the foundation of joy starts with a choice. Okay? It's an emotion. I'm not saying it isn't. And emotions move around, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But you have a choice to make every day. You have to decide. And I remember, I remember, and, and this is one of those moments that I don't like to talk about because she was right and I was wrong. <laughs> it happens much more than I would like to admit. And I was going through a time in my life where, quite honestly, I was not fun to be around. I was not always being joyful. In fact, I was probably always being a little angry and bitter and upset. And I remember my wife came to me and she said, Aaron, she said a lot of other things that I needed to hear. But she also said, you have to choose joy. And I said, no, I don't. And God, in his humor and in his discipline, says, oh, yes, you do. It's a choice. See, I was confusing it with just simply an emotion. I was confusing joy and happiness but joy is something we have to choose. And it's not something that we can just magically allow to happen. It's not something that automatically takes place in our hearts and our lives. Especially in those moments where things aren't going well. When things are difficult and hard. But in those moments, God still commands us to always be joyful. And that's hard. But God, I believe, wants to help us in that. Because we have to be able to switch and, and shift our thinking when it comes to joy, just like I did. And I've told you this before. In our home, there is a sign, and guess what it says on it? Always choose joy. Because sometimes I forget. Sometimes I miss it. But here's what I've learned. Joy, listen, joy is not only possible, but it's available. It is available because it is not found in a situation, an experience, or some random expression. It is found in a person. You can choose joy by choosing Jesus. That's it. You go, Aaron, how, how can I choose joy when, when we have nothing? How can I choose joy when the doctor's report is bad? How can I choose joy in that moment where the kids are driving me insane? It's because you don't find it in anything but Jesus. I look at our world right now, hear me here, and so many people are trying to find joy and trying to find fulfillment in something besides Jesus. And it is literally, literally destroying our world from the inside out. 
We have been programmed by God to need him and to need the joy that he brings. And when we try to fulfill ourselves or find joy in other things, it will ultimately lead to just bad things in our heart and our lives. And so many of us think that. Well, if I could just get this or just get that, instead of saying, you know what, Jesus, I choose you. How do you choose joy? How do you always choose joy? You choose the person that brings it. You choose the one who is literally joy incarnate. We've talked about this before. The fruit of the Spirit is literally who the Spirit, who God the Father, who God the Son, who God the Holy Spirit is. They are love. They are joy. They are those things. So when we embrace them, when we choose them, we also choose their ways and how they have showed us to live. But I know it's hard because things change and things happen. Life is Fluid. Life moves at a strange pace at times. And sometimes it is hard to choose Jesus. But the bottom line is this. While emotions are fluid, joy can be fixed. Because it's built on someone who never changes. So when we fix our joy in Jesus, or we find our joy in Jesus, that joy can be fixed regardless of what is going on around us. Do you get it? It's like that anchor or that island in the middle of the storm. And so when we grab a hold of Jesus and we say, you know what? Yes, life is not good right now. Life is hard right now. There's things that are taking place that are not easy right now. But you know what? I have Jesus and that's enough. I could be joyful in the midst of tragedy. Why? Because I have Jesus. I can be joyful in the midst of when everything is falling down around me. Why? Because I have Jesus. Sometimes we complicate things so much when Jesus is all we need. It's all we need. So let's, before we come in, guys, kind of an intro to the whole series, but let's, let's take a real quick, we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but a quick intro into the book of Philippians. Okay? And then you'll kind of see why we're kind of focusing on joy and things like that. So, so real quickly, we're going to look at some of those things. I think it's important that if we're going to study a book, that we kind of understand a little bit of these ideas and thoughts so that we can understand the context and understand what the author is writing and why and to who and all those sort of things. Again, we won't take long, but we need to look at this together. So let's first look at the author and the situation when the letter was written. This letter was written by Paul. We believe that it was basically written around 61 or 62 AD, depending on who you talk to. And at this point, Paul is actually in Rome, or we believe he is. There's a little bit of disagreement, but most people believe he was in Rome under house arrest while he was writing this, this basically this letter to the church. Uh, in, well, we'll talk about that in a minute. Okay, And so he's under house arrest, which basically means at this time that he is in a home or in a place or in a residence that he is renting. And he's living there, but he has no freedom as far as leaving the house. Now, people can come to visit him, but he is basically there. And then in the evenings, during the nighttime, well, throughout the entire time, basically there's a guard that is living with him. Okay. Now, I don't know about you, um, but I would, I would love to basically have, you know, and I think they, were, I think they are, I'm just going to be honest, because I, I, I cannot imagine someone being with Paul that long and not accepting Jesus, you know. So I, I'm looking forward to meeting the guards 
who were stationed to guard Paul during his house arrest. You know, because like they, we really believe that Paul was literally, especially in the evening, chained to this guy. Okay? I mean, can you imagine being chained to the Apostle Paul? I mean, like, I look at that and go, man, chain me up. You know, like, I would love to sit there and talk to Paul for, like, hours. But, I mean, this guy's probably going, will you shut up about this Jesus guy? Here, write a letter. Write a letter. I mean, I'm convinced, I know this sounds silly, I'm convinced, like, Paul writing a letter to the church in Philippi was not his idea. It was the guard's idea to shut him up. And God used it. In fact, he wrote many other books during this time as well, many other letters. And so he's under house arrest. He's not allowed to leave. And he's waiting there in Rome. And so that's basically when he writes this letter. Next, let's look at the place and the recipients of the letter. He writes it to a church in um, Philippi, the city of Philippi, that was a church that Paul uh, started, founded with Timothy and Silas and Luke. Um, and so he started this church, and basically now he is writing to them. Now, to understand the culture and things like that, you need to understand a little bit about the city of Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony at the time. Now, you and I kind of go probably at the American Revolution and things like that, but this was a major big deal during this time. To be a Roman colony basically meant that you were basically exempt from a lot of the taxes that other individuals had to pay. Hallelujah. Okay? But also, a lot of people that lived there were actually former soldiers in the Roman army. They were retired. And so a lot of times what they would do is they would retire from the military and as part of their, um, almost like a pension or part of their payment, was they would get land and they would live there. So if this makes sense, Philippi was a pro-Roman city. They loved Rome. They loved Caesar. It was, it was very much that type of a place. In fact, they, they spoke Latin because of that. They wanted to be Roman. They wanted to be like Romans. They were very much of a pro-Roman society. And because of that, because of that situation, the Christians there began to have a problem. We've talked about this maybe before, but, but at the time, what they would say in the Roman cities and in Rome and, and on their provinces is they would say something like this. They would say, Caesar is Lord. It was, it was a proclamation of, of Caesar's divinity and their, leader, or, and their loyalty to him and things like that. Well, this little ragtag bunch of misfits started saying something different. They started saying, Jesus is Lord. And you know what? That put them in, right in the crosshairs, especially in a place like Philippi that was so pro-Roman. So the church there was beginning to, to suffer some persecution because of this and some problems because of this. And so that's kind of what the area was. Philippi was a major trading post, very metropolitan area. Um, it, it was kind of like, imagine like in our world today, basically the New Yorks or the Los Angeleses or the large, Chicago's large cities in the area. And so that is the individuals that are writing, John, or excuse me, that Paul is writing to. Let's look at real quickly a couple major themes of the book. First, all Paul is writing this as kind of a thank you note. Basically, as he's under house arrest, Paul is not making money. Okay? He has to be able to provide for himself as far as renting a room or not. If he's not, he ends up in the prison. Um, and his food and things like that. The church in Philippi actually have sent money to help support him. So it's a thank you note for basically all they've done. It's also um, a very good book to help us to understand what it is to be a maturing church and a maturing Christian, okay? 
You're kind of seeing why I like this book. You know, I mean, it's really good in those areas. And then the final thing, and again, not that it should be a surprise, but it's literally called the letter of joy. It's what theologians call it. It's called the letter of joy. Basically, during the hundred and, let's say I wrote it down here, hundred and four, I didn't write it down. 104 verses, I think, in, don't quote me on that, but roughly 104 verses in the book of Philippians, 16, I know this is right, 16 of those verses basically talk or use the word joy or some derivative of it, like rejoicing or things of that nature. So really about one in five or one in six verses in the book basically specifically talk about joy. And it's so important to understand that because remember where Paul is. Paul can't, Paul's under prison. God, Paul's under lock and key. Paul can't just do what he wants whenever he wants. But yet Paul has this unbelievable situation where instead of basically turning this letter into a pity party, into sending, oh, please send help. Oh, I'm just in such trouble. Oh, you know, I don't know about you. I've met people like that. Paul's not that way. Paul's letter is not this pity party, woe is me, please send help. Because basically, if you don't know this, pretty soon Paul's going to be done. Instead, it's all about joy and thankfulness and growth and maturity. It's all about these things. And here's the deal. I think one of the reasons that Paul can rejoice while being chained to a guard was because Paul was attached to Christ. It's an unbelievable lesson for us because I don't believe any of us that I'm aware of, and if you are, you need to tell me about this, are under house arrest. I think all of us can basically, if we want to go out to eat this afternoon, we can. If we want to go home, we can. If we want to go walk in the mountains, we can. We don't have somebody that's chained to us. And yet Paul, throughout everything he's faced, and we'll talk about that in coming weeks, all the things he's faced, Paul chooses to be joyful he chooses to be joy why it's not about his circumstances because his circumstances isn't great right now it's because he has been attached to christ he has chosen him so this morning we're going to look at the first section of, of philippians we're going to be in philippians 1 starting with verse 1, going through verse 11. Like I said earlier, we're going to read every verse together. We're going to go through every word and then break it down from there. So if you have your Bibles, open them, turn them on, whatever you need to do. And we're going to look at these works together. So Philippians 1, starting with verse number 1, says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from first day, from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection 
of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and the praise of God. In our scripture this morning, Paul really begins this, uh, this, this letter and he opens it up with a very standard greeting of the time. He wishes them grace, he wishes them peace, he wishes them all these sort of things. And then, man, he hits the ground running and he begins to talk about them and the joy that he is now experiencing, even though he's changed, even though he's dealing with persecution and has with for, throughout his entire ministry. He begins this letter to these individuals that he loves so dearly with certain things and certain aspects. And so this morning, as we kind of focus in on this section of Philippians, I want us to look at the things that Paul talks basically about three expressions of joy. He talks about three specific things that he is joyful about, that, that brings joy to him even in the midst of his situations and his circumstances. And first of all, his joy is expressed in his mind. It's expressed in his mind. He mentions this in Philippians 1, 3 through 6. He says, I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. A quick question that we need to answer. How do people remember you? How do people remember you? I grew up in one church pretty much my whole childhood and, and, and even into my adult life before I went into full-time ministry. And that was awesome and great in so many ways, but in other ways it wasn't so great. Here's why. Because at times I had some Sunday school teachers who did not remember me with joy. They remembered me. They remembered me very well, but not with joy. There is something special, holy, and godly about remembering those that God has placed in our hearts and in our lives and remembering them in our mind with joy. Do you have people like that? Because you need people like that in your life where you just look back and maybe you haven't seen them. Maybe they've gone to be with the Lord and you just think back and in your mind, you just, you just, you're just, this joy just fills your heart. And that's awesome. But you know what? I want to be a person that when people think of me, it brings joy to them. I want that memory to come up and, and those memories to begin to, to flood their heart and just joy to just be an expression in their heart and their life. The people in Philippi did this by partnering with Paul, by joining with him to spread the gospel. Listen, the source of joy for Paul was what God was doing in their lives and their partnership in spreading the gospel. Paul specifically mentions that. He goes, man, I remember that you're doing this. And here's the thing. They weren't stopping. They were still doing it. And man, when he thought about that and that expression of joy, it just filled his heart. Listen, listen, one of the things that we're doing right now is we're, we're, we're getting food for kids that need it. Now listen, they don't know who we are. They may not understand. But I tell you what, they're going to one day look back and they're going to say, you know, I was hungry and a church fed me. 
I wonder who this Jesus really is. Why would they do that? They didn't know me. They never met me. And joy is going to start to fill their heart. Why? Because they're starting to see Jesus through our actions. And Paul was so excited and so filled with joy because that's what he was seeing. He was seeing their growth. He was seeing their understanding. We're going to get to that in a little bit, but it was already beginning to bubble up in his pen. And he was like, man, I remember. I remember. Secondly, his joy was expressed in his heart. His joy was expressed in his heart. Look at Philippians 1, 7 through 8. He says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have had you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how long how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. I, this is interesting here. Because you think about our world and our culture today, we kind of flip this. We, we, we start with our heart and then it moves to our head. Paul doesn't do that. Paul starts with his head, his mind, and he remembers. And then because of his remembrance, it moves to his heart. And he says, man, I feel this. I feel this. Why is this important? I'll be, I'll be honest, because emotions can deceive you and I. Emotions can be fluid. But he had some facts that were established in his mind. And because of those facts, because of those things that had been done, his joy and his love for these people began to grow. Listen, it's, it's real simple. I've been told this since I was young. And I, and, and I, I went and said, I went to my, my parents and I went to my pastor and I said, I feel like God's calling me into the ministry. And I remember my pastor who I'd had my entire life looked at me and maybe I've told you this before, but he said, Aaron, let me tell you something about ministry. He said, let me tell you something you need to understand. And I thought it was all wise. He stole it from Paul. He never told me that. But he said, Aaron, people don't, care how much you know until they know how much you care. Paul got that. And when he began to understand that, this joy began to flood his heart. Can I take a moment? A couple weeks ago, we did a work day. I couldn't believe how many of you showed up. I know some of you couldn't be here, and that's cool. But I was blown away. I said, hey, can we, can we maybe get some food for some kids? Go out there and look. And we're not done. Do you know the joy that brings to my heart? Do you know how easy it makes me, or not easy, but like I sleep well at night because of you, because of your hearts, because you're partnering with us. And it just fills my heart with joy and love. 
you know, I've had people come up to me and they say, Aaron, how are you able to do some of the things you do? Why do you do this or why do you do that? Or why, you know, I mean, wouldn't it be easier to do something different or make somebody else do that? Do you realize how easy you make this on me? The way you live your lives and the way you love me and my wife and my family, I'll tell you right now, I'll run through a brick wall for you. Because the joy of seeing your lives brings joy to mine. And it makes me love you all the more. And that's what Paul was saying. He was saying, listen, because of you, it doesn't matter where I am. Listen, it's the source of joy for Paul was not based on where Paul was writing the letter from, but to whom he was writing the letter to. What's interesting about Philippians, as you look in other books and other letters, Paul is dealing with like some serious heresy stuff. I mean, they've really kind of, in some ways, like you look at 1 and 2 Corinthians, man, they've gone off the rails, and Paul is like lovingly correcting them. Philippians is not like that. Philippians is like, my goodness, just don't stop. Please keep going. It's one of the reasons I like Philippians so much. It's so encouraging, and Paul is so excited because the joy in his heart for these people is just bubbling out. It started in his head, but it moved on and changed his heart and it affected his life. And because of that, it didn't matter that he was chained to a guard. It didn't matter what he was facing because of their lives. And basically because he saw Jesus in them. The final thing, his joy is expressed in his prayers his joy is expressed in his prayers. Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound, listen, more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless before the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of, the righteous, fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So it starts in his head. It moves to his heart. And because it started in his head and moved to his heart, now it's actually taking place and flowing through his actions and his prayer life. And so he's like, listen, listen, listen. I, want it. I love this. He doesn't say, man, you need to get going. He doesn't say you need this grace and this love. To, you know, he's not in, you know, he's going, no, I want it to abound. When you go back and you look at the original Greek, it's like he's literally saying this. He's like, I want it to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. He's not like, yeah, it's a little bit more. It's this concept of literally pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's what he's praying for these people. And what's so beautiful about it is he's not having to pray, hey, get the glass full. The glass is full. He wants it to overflow. And it responds to that. Listen, the source of joy for Paul was praying for their continued maturity and growth. You know, listen, there's, there's a prayer that we pray for people and ourselves that basically at times are, you know what, I need to get going here. I need to start growing again. I need to start experiencing an intimacy with the Father. And then there's also prayers that are basically like, God, just help me to keep moving. Just help me to keep growing. Just help me to keep experiencing you in a powerful way. And that was Paul's prayer. And it brought him a great deal of joy because he was like, just keep going. 
just, just, just more and more and more. In a lot of ways, he was telling the church in Philippi, listen, you haven't seen anything yet. God has more for you. And I'm praying that that comes and happens in your heart and in your life. And here's what's interesting. Paul believed it would, and he was joyful about it. He was kind of giddy about it. He was so excited about it. So in that, we see, we see this, these expressions through Paul's early writing of the book. But, but, but we need to take another step forward here. okay? Because remember, what I want from this series is not for us just to have a deeper understanding of the book of, of Philippians. What I really want us to be able to have is the ability to take that and apply it. How, how, do, we, how do we live a life that is always joyful? How do we always choose joy? And we talked about it earlier. We do that by choosing Jesus. But how do we actually allow that to take place in more of an application in our hearts and our lives on a daily basis from these expressions of joy? So, so how do these expressions of joy, how can they help us to choose Jesus and joy today? Okay? How can we do that? First, first, we can experience joy when we remember what Jesus has done for us. Okay? So again... Joy in Jesus is going to be interchangeable through this series, okay? So how do we choose it? We first, we remember. We, we learn from Paul and we remember what Jesus has done, okay? We do that in many, many ways. We do that every, the first Sunday of every month when we take communion together. We remember what Christ has done. We remember what he saved us from and what he has brought us to. We sing songs about it. Listen, you need to talk to your family and your friends and your spouse and your neighbors and remember what Christ has done for you. Because here's what I found. When I begin to remember what Christ has done for me, joy comes. Joy comes real quick. Because You all don't know some things in my life that aren't perfect. And when I think about how broken and flawed I am still, and yet Jesus died for me, when he says, when he says, Aaron, I know your name. I know the number of hairs on your head. I formed you in your mother's womb. I know you. I mean, that blows my mind. That the God of the universe, who spoke the very world into existence, knows me and died for me and rose for me and is working and praying for me and ministering to me. That's in his Holy Spirit to walk with me. What can man do to me? When I think about all those things and remember them, it fills my heart with joy because I've chosen him over everything else. Number two, we'd experience joy when we're willing to give Jesus all of us, okay? Listen, this is kind of a trippy area for a lot of us, okay? We want the joy, we want the promises, but we're not willing to give all of our hearts. It's like, God, I, I, I kind of need you here, but not here. God, I kind of need you in this area, but not in this area. God, I need help in, you know, raising my kids, but my job is cool. I got that. You know, when we give our lives over to God, the point of that is not giving a portion of us. It's to give all of us. 
Because here's what I've found. You talk to people all the time. Well, I'm, I'm, they almost say like this. Well, I'm joyful in my home life, but I'm not joyful in my work. Or I'm joyful in, in this relationship, but I'm not joyful in this relationship. And they don't really use that term, but that's what they're saying. Why is that? Why, 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 wait a minute. God said always be joyful in every situation, in every circumstance. Why do we choose to only be joyful in certain areas? Simple, because we haven't given all those areas over to Jesus. We, we, we want to kind of hold some things back. Listen, if you want joy in every area of your life, and here's the thing, God wants that for you. To do that, you've got to give him it all. Every relationship every work issue, every situation and circumstance. When you give it all to Jesus, what that happens is now you're choosing Jesus, not the situations and circumstances that are around the situation. Does that make sense? We choose him. And because we choose him, we allow that joy that he brings into every area. You say, Aaron, how, how do you do that really when things are hard? Well, let me give you a perfect example. How is it and again, I talked about it earlier, but how is it that right here on Thursday morning, there was a body? And I stood right here. And you know, were there tears? Of course there were tears. God says, we, we, we mourn. You're supposed to mourn. Mourning's good. It's healthy. But we don't mourn like those who have no hope. And so even though there was a hard goodbye... It was not goodbye. And so there could be a joy, even, even in death. Why? Because of Jesus. Not because of what she had, not because of her family, even though those are great things. All that mattered, where that joy came from, was the fact that Jesus came, died, rose again. She accepted that, and now she's with him. And now, now her joy is... <laughs> I'll be honest, folks. Come quickly, Lord. I'm ready. So even in that moment, because Dorothy chose Jesus, we could experience joy. Even in that moment. But how does that happen? We give it all to him. All of us. The final thing. We can experience joy when we mature and grow closer to Jesus. Remember, one of the things about this book that's so important, not only joy, but it's what a maturing church and a maturing Christian really look like. And you know what I found? I know this is kind of weird to say it like this because we don't always think this way. Some of the most mature Christians I have ever been around are also some of the most joyful. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Like you would think, oh, no, 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 no. You'd be, Oh, I have memorized the Old Testament in Hebrew and Greek and Latin just because. No. Honestly, can I, can I, be, can I be real secretive? You know, don't tell anybody this. But sometimes those people have been the least mature I've been around. They had a lot of head knowledge, but they didn't know Jesus. Kind of like the Pharisees. But there's some people that I have met who their joy is literally infectious. Like they walk into a room 
You have you heard this, this phrase, you know, like if Jesus walked into a room and it just light, he just, just light up the whole room? Hey, folks, let me, can I, and look, I, I fail at this too. Don't misunderstand me. But listen, if we're ambassadors of Jesus, if Jesus is living in us, shouldn't we do that? And not walk into a room, you know, y'all going to hell, but going into that room going, man, I got something that God has done in me. And I'm, I remember what he's done. And he's helping me grow and I'm experiencing And people go, oh my goodness gracious. I'll have some of that. As you grow and mature in Christ, the fruit of righteousness that Paul calls it, another way to say it is the fruit of the Spirit, should also grow. It's a sign of your maturity. Okay? Jesus talked about it all the time. You know a tree by its fruit. And one of the fruit of the Spirit that's mentioned quite early, by the way, is joy. Out on our board out there, it says, basically, you know, we're serious about the discipline of joy. Why did I choose those words? Because it's a choice. You have to choose joy at times. And Paul here chose joy. He could have started his letter any way he wanted, but he started with joy. Why? How could he have done that in that situation? How could that man literally write later to another church and say, always be joyful, simple? Because to choose joy, Paul chose Jesus. And he never chose something else. And it grew him and matured him into the man of God that he eventually became. Listen, I know sometimes when we read Paul's writings, Paul can come across in an interesting way. But I got to believe Paul was that guy that would just be infectious with his joy. Even though he was chained to a soldier, even though he had been bitten by a snake and gone through shipwrecks, been beaten, flogged, stoned, left for dead. This guy said, always choose joy. And because of the people in his life, in this church, it just would bubble up inside of him. But it all came from first and foremost choosing Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Let's, let's close. Because here's the deal. Like, this is this whole thing. And, and for some of you, I'll be honest. Listen, I know how this works. I know how this gets. You know, this is not my first rodeo. For some of you, when I said we're going to be studying the book of Philipp, uh, uh, Philippians, man, you went, oh, yeah, I love these things. And some of you went, okay, um, how can I be gone for the next three weeks? But here's, here's my promise to you. For some of you, this may not always be your cup of tea, but here's the thing you need to understand. When we choose Jesus, we choose joy. And I chose this book not because of its length or because of this or that, but because I believe that God, for, for our church family, who is growing, like, like I see a lot, as I read the book of Philippians, I see a lot of Broomfield Assembly. I see a church that's, that's beginning to grow. I, I don't see a church that I'm needing to kick to get going. Like, like my prayer is that, God, this would abound more and more and more and more. 
And I believe that God is doing that in your hearts and in your lives. And God has only just begun. Hear me. Hear me. He has only just begun. But I believe one of those pillars, and there's several, but one of those pillars that God wants to be a part of this is joy. I believe that God wants when people walk in that the, the joy of the Lord is just literally, you have to just, like, it's like a mist that you have to just push away from your face. Not because we're fake or phony or trying to be, you know, but because we've chosen Jesus. You want joy, not happiness, but true joy that Jesus offers, you choose him because he is the only one. He is the only thing that can bring it. There's things in your life that will bring happiness. And those are great things. Nothing wrong with them. But, John, but Paul here is very clear. He's very clear. You want joy? You want joy in your life? You want people to experience joy in their lives? It's real simple. You choose Jesus first. And so over the next several weeks, as we go through this book together and look at many different things that Paul is writing to these individuals and in turn writing to us, it starts here. We choose Jesus. I choose him. I choose him over my situations, my circumstances. I choose him in moments when things are hard and when things are good. And listen, this is not one of those things, folks, that you just fall into, okay? You have to choose every day Jesus. Now, I'm not talking about salvation here, okay? I'm talking about a choice that says, you know what, Jesus? Because you saved me, because you are working in my life, there is nothing that I'm going to face today that can rob me of my joy. Jesus is the ultimate bucket fixer. Now, here's the deal. Even in life, as you run around, you know, we, some joy can spill out. But you know what? Then we go back to Jesus and he fills it up again. But when we choose him, it changes everything. One of the things I talk about a lot is Jesus came to give us life. And we sometimes make a terrible, terrible mistake in thinking that that life begins when we die. The life that Jesus brings starts now. A life full of love and joy and peace and goodness and kindness and grace and mercy. All of those things are not for when you're dead. They're for today. Let's grab them. And we grab them by grabbing a hold of Jesus. So it won't matter who you're chained to. All that will matter is that you're connected with him. So Father, we come to you right now. And Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have come. We thank you and remember what you have done for us. 
We thank you for dying and rising again so that we could be clothed in righteousness, knowing that no matter what this life holds for us, we have a life waiting with you in glory. But God, even though sometimes this life is hard, you still walk with us, you still talk with us, you still lead us, guide us, and direct us. God, even though there are storms, you are there. So with all of those things in mind and many, many, many more, when we choose you, we can have a life of joy. We can live a life of fullness. We can rejoice in all situations and all circumstances. Why? Because we're connected to you. We don't care sometimes that it's it's not easy, but we're not so focused on the guard we're chained to. We're focused on the fact that we've given our hearts to you. And that because you're victorious, we're victorious. Because of what you have done, we can experience new life and eternal life today. So Father, as we spend these next several weeks going through this book together, Father, I pray that for each and every one of us, this would be more than just a mental exercise and to learn a little bit more in depth of this book but that God more than anything that we would be a people that choose that always choose joy because I believe father just like Paul chose joy and because he chose joy we now have a letter that he wrote that has literally changed the face of this planet God, you are not a respecter of persons. I believe, God, that when we choose joy, we can affect our world just as impactful as Paul did. Because what the world needs is Jesus. And Jesus brings joy. So, Father, help us to do that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Listen. Again, thank you for being here this morning. Remember, community groups this weekend, the food drive kind of thing out there, and then also mark on your calendars, May 7th. We'll have our our guests with us. Really looking forward to that Sunday. Thanks for being uh, being with us. For those who are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope we see you soon. For all of you, love you so much. Have a great week. We'll talk to you soon.